good evening, and welcome to the Sleep with Josh podcast. It's the podcast where you sleep with Josh. I am comedian Josh Yang, and every episode, I read various pieces of literature in my trademark monotone voice to help you drift off to sleep. Literature like the dictionary, laws, various manuals, the different terms of services that everyone agrees to but never really reads, and other random boring ideas. Tonight is our last episode of 2020, a year that will go down in the medical history books. So it feels appropriate to end off with another medical book, Grey's Anatomy, first published in 1858 by British anatomist and surgeon Henry Gray. Hopefully, this episode will be so boring, it will help you forget about the year 2020. If you find yourself enjoying this experience, please follow this podcast on your podcast player of choice and tell everyone you know that you sleep with Josh. Because at the end of the day, the more people that sleep with Josh, the better. Feel free to also follow me on social media at Josh Yang Comedy. Now sit back, relax, and close your eyes because you'll get McDreamy from this podcast. Guaranteed. Anatomy of the Human Body by Henry Gray 20th Edition Continuing with the section called The Notochord The Notochord consists of a rod of cells situated on the ventral aspect of the neural tube. It constitutes the foundation of the axial skeleton. Since around it, the segments of the vertebral column are formed. Its appearance synchronizes with that of the neural tube. On the ventral aspect 
of the neural groove, an axial thickening of the endoderm takes place. This thickening assumes the appearance of a furrow, the chordal furrow, the margins of which come into contact and so convert it into a solid rod of cells, the notochord, which is then separated from the endoderm. It extends throughout the entire length of the future vertebral column and reaches as far as the anterior end of the midbrain, where it ends in a hook-like extremity in the region of the future dorsum celli of the cephanoid bone. It lies at first between the neural tube and the endoderm of the yolk sac, but soon becomes separated from them by the mesoderm, which grows medialward and surrounds it. From the mesoderm surrounding the neural tube and notochord, the skull and vertebral column, and the membranes of the brain and medulla spinalis are developed. The primitive segments. Toward the end of the second week, transverse segmentation of the paraxial mesoderm begins and is converted into a series of well-defined, more or less, cubical masses. The primitive segments, which occupy the entire length of the trunk on either side of the middle line, from the occipital region of the head. Each segment contains a central cavity known as the myoka well, which, however, is soon filled with angular and spindle-shaped cells. The primitive segments lie immediately under the ectoderm, on the lateral aspect of the neural tube and notochord, and are connected to the lateral mesoderm by the intermediate cell mass. Those of the trunk may be arranged in the following groups. Cervical, thoracic, lumbar, sacral, and cosigil, spelt C-O-C-C-Y. G-E-A-L, I think it's co-sigil. Those of the occipital region of the head are usually described as being four in number. In mammals, primitive segments of the head can be recognized only in the occipital region, but a study of the lower vertebrates leads to the belief that they are present also in the anterior parts of the head, and that altogether nine segments in the cephalic 
region. Separation of the embryo. The embryo increases rapidly in size, but the circumference of the embryonic disc, or line of meeting of the embryonic and amniotic parts of the ectoderm, is of relatively slow growth and gradually comes to form a constriction between the embryo and the greater part of the yolk sac. By means of this constriction, which corresponds to the future umbilicus, a small part of the yolk sac is enclosed within the embryo and constitutes the primitive digestive tube. The embryo increases more rapidly in length than in width, and its cephalic and caudal ends soon extend beyond the corresponding parts of the circumference of the embryonic disc, and are bent in a ventral direction to form the cephalic and caudal folds, respectively. The cephalic fold is first formed, and as the proamniotic area lying immediately in front of the pericardial area forms the anterior limit of the circumference of the embryonic disc. The forward growth of the head necessarily carries with it the posterior end of the pericardial area, so that this area and the buccopharyngeal membrane are folded back under the head of the embryo, which now encloses a diverticulum, a diverticulum of the yolk sac, named the foregut. The caudal end of the embryo is at first connected to the chorion by a band of mesoderm called the body stalk. But with the formation of the caudal fold, the body stalk assumes a ventral position, a diverticulum of the yolk sac, extends into the tail fold and is termed the hind gut. Between the foregut and the hind gut, there exists for a time a wide opening into the yolk sac, but the latter is gradually reduced to a small pear-shaped sac, sometimes termed the umbilical vesicle and the channel of communication is at the same time narrowed and elongated to form a tube called the vitaline duct. The yolk sac. The yolk sac is situated on the ventral aspect of the embryo. It is lined by the endoderm, 
outside of which is a layer of mesoderm. It is filled with fluid, the vitelline fluid, which possibly may be utilized for the nourishment of the embryo during the early stages of its existence. Blood is conveyed to the wall of the sac by the primitive aorta, and after circulating through a wide-meshed capillary plexus, is returned to the vitaline veins, to the tubular heart of the embryo. This constitutes the vitaline circulation, and by means of it, nutritive material is absorbed by the yolk sac and conveyed to the embryo. At the end of the fourth week, the yolk sac presents the appearance of a small pear-shaped vesicle, umbilical vesicle, opening into the digestive tube by a long, narrow tube. The vitaline duct. The vesicle can be seen in the afterbirth as a small, somewhat oval-shaped body, whose diameter varies from 1 millimeter to 5 millimeters. It is situated between the amnion and the chorion and may lie on or at a varying distance from the placenta. As a rule, the duct undergoes complete obliteration during the seventh week, but in about 3% of cases, its proximal part persists as a diverticulum from the small intestine, Meckel's diverticulum, as it's called, which is situated about three or four feet above the iliocolic junction and may be attached by a fibrous cord to the abdominal wall at the umbilicus. Sometimes a narrowing of the lumen of the ilium is seen opposite the site of attachment of the duct. Development of the fetal membranes and the placenta. The Elantuis. The Elantuis arises as a tubular diverticulum of the posterior part of the yolk sac. When the hind gut is developed, the elantois is carried backward with it and then opens into the cloaca or terminal part of the hind gut. It grows out into the body stock, a mass of mesoderm which lies below and around the tail end of the embryo. The diverticulum is lined by endoderm and covered 
by mesoderm, and in the latter are carried the allantoic or umbilical vessels. In reptiles, birds, and many mammals, the allantois becomes expanded into a vesicle which projects into the extraembryonic cellum. If its further development be traced in the bird, it is seen to project to the right side of the embryo and gradually expanding it spreads over its dorsal surface as a flattened sac between the amnion and the serosa and extending in all directions ultimately surrounds the yolk its outer wall becomes applied to and fuses with the serosa which lies immediately inside the shell membrane. Blood is carried to the allantoic sac by the two allantoic or umbilical arteries which are continuous with the primitive aorta and after circulating through the allantoic capillaries is returned to the primitive heart by the two umbilical veins. In this way, the allantoic circulation, which is of the utmost importance in connection with the respiration and nutrition of the chick, is established. Oxygen is taken from and carbonic acid is given up to the atmosphere through the eggshell, while nutritive materials are at the same time absorbed by the blood from the yolk. In man and other primates, the nature of the allantois is entirely different from that just described. Here, it exists merely as a narrow tubular diverticulum of the hind gut and never assumes the form of a vesicle outside the embryo. With the formation of the amnion, the embryo is, in most animals, entirely separated from the chorion and is only again united to it when the allantoic mesoderm spreads over and becomes applied to its inner surface. The human embryo, on the other hand, as was pointed out by Hiss, is never wholly separated from the chorion, its tail end being the first connected with the chorion by means of a thick band of mesoderm named the body stock or box steel. Into this stock, the tube of the allantois extends. The amnion. 
the amnion is a membranous sac which surrounds and protects the embryo. It is developed in reptiles, birds, and mammals, which are hence called amniota, but not in amphibia and fishes, which are consequently termed anamnia. In the human embryo, the earliest stages of the formation of the amnion have not been observed. In the youngest embryo, which has been studied, the amnion was already present as a closed sac. And, as indicated on page 46, appears in the inner cell mass as a cavity. This cavity is roofed in by a single stratum of flattened ectodermal cells, the amniotic ectoderm and its floor consists of the prismatic ectoderm of the embryonic disc. The continuity between the roof and floor being established at the margin of the embryonic disc. Outside the amniotic ectoderm is a thin layer of mesoderm, which is continuous with that of the somatopleur and is connected by the body stock with the mesodermal lining of the chorion. When first formed, the amnion is in contact with the body of the embryo. But about the fourth or fifth weak fluid in brackets liquor amni in brackets begins to accumulate within it. This fluid increases in quantity and causes the amnion to expand and ultimately to adhere to the inner surface of the chorion so that the extra embryonic part of the cellum is obliterated. The liquor amni increases in quantity up to the sixth or seventh month of pregnancy after which it diminishes somewhat. At the end of pregnancy, it amounts to about one liter. It allows of the free movements of the fetus during the later stages of pregnancy and also protects by diminishing the risk of injury from without. It contains less than 2% of solids consisting of urea and other extractives inorganic salts, a small amount of protein, and is frequently a trace of sugar. That some of the liquor amni is swallowed by the fetus is proved by the fact that epidermal debris and hairs have been found among the contents of the fetal alimentary canal. In reptiles, birds, and many mammals, the amnion is developed in the following manner. At the point of constriction, where the primitive digestive tube of the embryo joins the yolk sac, a reflection or folding upward 
of the somatopleur takes place. This, the amniotic fold, first makes its appearance at the cephalic extremity and subsequently at the caudal end and sides of the embryo. And gradually rising more and more, its different parts meet and fuse over the dorsal aspect of the embryo and enclose a cavity, the amniotic cavity. After the fusion of the edges of the amniotic fold, the two layers of the fold become completely separated, the inner forming the amnion, the outer the false amnion, or serosa. The space between the amnion and the serosa constitutes the extraembryonic cellum, and for a time communicates with the embryonic cellum. And that feels like a good place to end. Congratulations, you've survived the year 2020. By sleeping with Josh. But if you're still awake and celebrating the new year, I want to thank all you listeners and followers of this podcast and wish you all a happy, oh my god, a very happy new year so we can all put the year 2020 behind us. Good night.